So today we will look at a very short story from the book of Acts. And I will look at four, under four points, the characters of the story, the events of the story. Then we look a little bit at how this very short story fits into the larger story and our place in this story. But first I want to read from Acts 16, the text is up here, the reference. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave the Macedonia, to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we went out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. I think we leave it there for the moment. It's a funny story. It's a little bit of a confusing story. But first let's look at the characters of this first part of the story. One of the characters is the Apostle Paul. Paul was born at June. He was a Roman citizen. He came from Tarsus but studied in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem he became aware of what was going on at the time. There was this man called Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. And there was this Jewish sect called The Way, after this Jesus had died, claimed to be resurrected and gone into heaven. And his 12 disciples, plus some others, in total 120, started this kind of a strange movement, the sect, The Way. And he didn't like that, because it went against his tradition and against his theology. So he became an enemy of the Jewish sect. He was committed, even obsessed, to wiping this off the earth, stopping the sect from spreading, even by killing. In pursuing this, he suddenly had an encounter with Jesus himself on the road to Damascus, and that turned his world around. Because in this encounter, Jesus not only told him, what you are doing is wrong, why are you killing me? I'm the king, I'm the Lord. He also gave him a commission. So in this encounter and the days after when he prayed and when finally this disciple Hananias came and prayed with him, Paul accepted Jesus as his Savior, but also as his Lord. Paul would later say two things. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He knew that. He would not deserve this. But the Lord gave him the opportunity to turn around. And he gave him a new vocation. Not a persecutor of a church, but a spreader of the church. And that was it became his calling. And because Paul also had accepted Jesus, not only as Savior, but as Lord, he meant business. And when he was referring to himself, he often talked, I'm a slave. I'm a slave of God. 
And his particular calling was that one of an apostle, of one sent out, sent by God. Because Lord, Jesus is Lord, Paul obeyed. He reminds all those people to whom he writes in his letters. In most of the epistles, the, uh, in the, epistles, the greeting is, Grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost all the epistles end with the greeting, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Acts 28, basically the final verses describe what Paul did when he was in Rome. He talked about the kingdom of God and the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's message had completely changed. His life had changed, his message had changed. He was about King Jesus and spreading the kingdom of God by building his church. That was the first character of that story. The second character of the story is Silas, or Silvanus. What we know from scripture about Silvanus is that he was a respected and trusted person by the Jerusalem church and the elders there. He was recognized as having the gift of a prophet. He was part of a delegation who, after the council in Jerusalem, sent word back to the believers in Antioch and conveyed the outcome of that council. There had been controversy between believers from Judaism and believers from the Hellenic and Greek background about do we need to obey the law of Moses? Do we need to circumcise? Do we basically have to become Jews to be followers of Jesus? There was controversy and that had been settled by this council in Jerusalem. And the Jerusalem elders sent Paul and Barnabas, but also wanted to send two from their own um, to convey this message to the churches that had been planted outside of Jerusalem in the area of Turkey, Cilicia. And Silas was one of those emissaries. And that's where, if not before, he met Paul. So that is what we know from Scripture. The tradition has it that Silas was one of the 70 disciples who were sent by Jesus in Luke 10. And if that is true, he probably also was one of the 120 who were gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus' ascension, waiting for Pentecost for the Holy Spirit to come. So he would be among the original disciples, this Silas. Then we have a third person in our story, and that is Timothy. Timothy was half Jewish from his mother's side and half Greek from his father's side. He came from Lystra, that's today's southern, southern East Turkey. There was Paul's ministry location on his first journey. There is no explicit mention that Timothy came to faith under Paul. It is likely because Paul calls him my true son in the faith. So Paul had a significant investment in Timothy's life and discipleship. And then we have the fourth person who is not mentioned by name because he is writing this whole thing. This is Luke. Luke had joined this group from verse 10 onwards. Luke was a Greek. He shared his profession with me, medical doctor. Most likely he came from Antiochia, Antiochia in Syria. He was a physician and educated. He was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And nowhere do we read how he became a disciple. But he was a disciple. So those are the four characters that form part of the story or the core of the story. Four men 
Two were born Jewish. One was half Jewish. One was Greek. That indicates that the gospel by that time, the gospel had already spread outside the Jewish culture and religion. One of the four men was from Jerusalem. One was from Tarsus. One was from Antioch. And one was from Lystra. That's southern Turkey. That indicates that the gospel had already spread geographically by the time of this little episode. Very probably we have one of the original disciples in this group. We would call him a first generation believers, a believer. And the rest had come to faith through somebody else. So that would make them second and third generation believers. Because the gospel had already spread from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. So we already see the generational spread of the gospel from one generation of disciples to the other one. In those four men, we therefore have already quite an overview of God, how God wanted to build his kingdom. He wanted to build his kingdom and spread the gospel and build his church geographically over cultures and through multiplication, through several generations, through the reproduction of disciples over generations. Those are marks of the spread of the kingdom. Geographical, cultural, that's why we have missionaries who go to other cultures, who go to distant places, but also generational in terms of reproduction. Those who believe make others disciples, who then make others to disciples. That's how God builds his church. Those were the four men. What happened in this story? This is not an ordinary travel story. This is the story of a journey in the service of his king, of the majesty, the king. Paul was called to be an apostle. He was sent by the Lord to bring the gospel of the kingdom where it was not known yet. That was his calling. This calling had been confirmed by the church in Antioch in Syria. This is just above Caesarea up there. On his first journey, he was together with Barnabas. Paul had seen churches being planted in different towns and cities in southeastern Turkey. They came as far as Antioch. So that is basically the spread where the black circle should be. On his second journey, Paul and Silas visited those places and took off from Lystra the young disciple Timothy along. And their plan was to continue the spread of the gospel into other parts of modern-day Turkey because God's command was make disciples of all nations, be my witness to the ends of the earth. And verse 6 mentions the target area. Okay, forget about the black dots uh, because they were should have been somewhere else. But that's what digital data do to you at times. They reformat each other. <laughs> So, where would have been, maybe we take this off, otherwise it gets confusing. So, verse 6 mentioned the target area, the west coast of Asia Minor, that would have been Ephesus, down there. Ephesus is one of the urban centers of that region, because the gospel was to spread further west. Let's take this slide down. But, something does not feel right on that journey. The Holy Spirit hinders them from preaching in the province of Asia. That was this text says. So they changed their plans. 
They travel via Phrygia and the Galatian region. They swing by Mysia and from there aim to Bithynia. Bithynia, while this thing is up, is at the Black Sea coast. So they said, okay, if we can't go west, let's go north. And again, the Spirit does not allow them. Now that is confusing. We go because the Lord has called us. We want to spread the gospel and he says, no, wherever we go, what's going on? This is confusing. Sometimes we want to do the Lord's will and we only encounter closed doors. What do we do? Paul and his team understood that it was God speaking to them. I don't know whether they were tempted to sit still, send a letter to Antioch and say, okay guys, we need a week of prayer, we need a week of prayer and fasting because we encounter closed doors. Please pray that the doors would open to Asia, to Ephesus or to Bithynia um, because we feel the Lord wants us to go there. Maybe they were not they did not have the luxury of sending a quick letter and gather all their prayer support. They must have prayed themselves. But somehow they sensed, no, this is not from the enemy of God who wants to keep us out of Asia, out of Ephesus and out of Bithynia. This is God who speaks to us. What do we do? They do not turn around. They know our mission is to spread the gospel. They could have gone back to Jerusalem and do a reset. They did not. They kept going in the direction of their calling. Spread the gospel. So they said, okay, we go further west. So they went further west until there was a lot of water. And that was in Troas. And that's where they waited. What now, Lord? We went as far west as we can. What now? And this is the place where God shows them the open door for the gospel. The open door for the gospel even further than they thought. They thought, let's go to Ephesus. Why would God say no to Ephesus? Honestly, I don't know. Maybe it was not the time for Ephesus. The gospel came to Ephesus in with a powerful way in Acts 18. Just two chapters later. Why not through Paul? At that time, why somewhere else? I don't know. Was there something in it for Paul? Maybe. But whatever the reasons, after two doors had shut in Paul's face, there was this new development. He had a vision in the night. Come over and help us. Now was this wishful thinking? Did they just want it so badly to go further west that somehow in Paul's mind there was something working and he had that dream, that vision, was this from God? Paul submitted this vision to their companions. And when they concluded that it was God who had spoken to them, they did not hesitate. They did not wait. They did have no further doubt about what to do. They understood. This was a new calling. This was a calling to cross the waters and go over to Macedonia, to Europe. They understood when the Lord calls, this is not a suggestion. This is not an invitation. Could you maybe consider, rather than going to Ephesus or Bithynia, pray about it, and then maybe, if you feel right about it, go to Macedonia. No, they understood. This is kingdom business. And where God is king, and he issues a call, this is a direction. Sometimes God is very clear in his commands. 
and we forget them or do not take them as commands of the king, as orders of the king. Very early in the Bible, at the beginning of this larger story, there is this command, be fruitful and multiply. That's not a suggestion. There's a command. Noah, make yourself an ark. Go into the ark, you and your family. Not a suggestion, a consideration. It's a command. Leave your country, your people. That's what Abraham heard. In your father's household. Tell the whole community, each man, to take a lamb, slaughter it, take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the doors. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. I'm the Lord your God. Thou shalt not have other gods beside me. And nine other commands. Those are not suggestions. Those are commands. Come, follow me. When the king says, come, follow me, what do we do? <laughs> Go and make disciples. God's directions for Paul and his team were, come over and help us. They did not need to think long and hard what that meant. They did not need it to weigh the pros and the cons against each other. They did not need a further conversation. What they did, at once. Verse 10, at once, without unnecessary delay, Maybe there were some practical preparations to be done. But at once, without delay, they got ready to board ship bound for Macedonia. And then they landed in Neapolis. That was the port there. So God had spoken through a vision. There was a Macedonian, a man. And Paul and his team could have thought, okay, we are now in Macedonia. Let's look for that man. Paul, how did he look? Was he old? Was he young? He have a beard. What did he wear? We need to find this man. God had spoken through a vision and we need to find this man. No, that's not what we read. It seems that within God's directions to bring the gospel over to Macedonia, Paul and his colleagues had the freedom to think strategically. Neapolis, yeah, that's a port city. But a little bit further up there, there is Philippi. Philippi is the best place. It is called the leading city of that district of Macedonia in the Roman colony. That was a trade route. There were people coming and going through Macedonia, uh, through Philippi in Macedonia. It was a larger city than Neapolis. So Paul concluded, we are in Macedonia, let's go. Let's not look for this man in the first place. Let's seek the Lord and see what he has for us in Philippi because that is the strategic place. They were not fixated on the details of that vision. They had understood the general direction. And Paul started where Paul felt comfortable, and that was a Jewish prayer place. And that's how God opened the door, not only for Macedonia, but also into the heart of a woman in whose house started this church in Macedonia. Wait a minute. A woman? I thought you saw a man. They didn't take that vision too far. So Lydia, she was a woman, and God opened her heart. She opened also her home. More open doors. Open hearts, open doors. And by the way, a side observation, Paul wanted initially to go to Ephesus in Asia Minor. The Lord did not allow him. He directed them to Macedonia through the vision of a man. The first person who receives the gospel in Macedonia is not a man but a woman 
and she's an immigrant from Asia. God has humor. That was not, maybe not what Paul had expected. This man from Macedonia, but the Lord opened the door for Macedonia through a woman who was a migrant from Asia Minor. Theatira, that place where she is from, is pretty close to Ephesus. So Paul, Paul does not only encounter that open door for the gospel in this woman. Paul, Paul encounters open doors for the demonstration of the God's power as he cast out a demon. And then there are more open doors that Paul encounters in the pursuit of bringing the gospel. The prison doors open. First they shut, that is part of the story too, but then they open. The prisoners' chains come loose through the power of an earthquake. The heart and the house of the jailer are open too. And there are more open doors so that the gospel could spread further. So the gospel spread in this story, in this episode, in terms of geography, a new continent, Europe. In terms of culture, the Macedonians were majority non-Jewish people. Through multiplication, because there was another generation of believers emerges in Philippi, but also in terms of the depth of the kingdom. The values of God's kingdom become evident in Philippi. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul writes about their love for one another, the fellowship in the Holy Spirit, the tenderness, the compassion, the obedience. And this became visible. He describes them as lights shining in the darkness. And the church in Philippi participated in the further spread of the gospel. Paul talks about their partnership in the gospel from the first day on. He mentions four of his co-workers from Philippi by name. Euodia and Syntyche, Clement and Epaphroditus. And they contributed financially for his support from the early days on. God opened the doors for the gospel to a new place and what the gospel did there. We see all the marks of the spread and the advance of God's kingdom and the gospel in this little episode. It reaches a new continent. It reaches a new culture. It multiplies through a new generation of believers whose life was transformed, who reached out into their community, and they became apostles, spreader of the gospel into further places as well. And all that came through open doors, but it also came through closed doors. This ministry that they did was accompanied by prison doors that closed behind them and feet that were fastened in the stock and in a locked and locked in a prison. Following the open doors for the gospel does not guarantee plain sailing. Now that is a very short episode on page 936 of this whole book, for about 1,080 pages. The whole story in this book, from beginning to end, is about God's kingdom spreading and God's kingdom being fulfilled. Because with Paul's visit there, and with the opening 
for the gospel through Paul and through Paul's ministry. And when he died and his ministry finished, this story did not end. The end will only come when Jesus will present to God this bride, the worldwide church. The end will come, says Paul in a letter to the Corinthians, when Jesus will hand over all authority to the Father and present him with the bride. Here, Father, here is your kingdom. Here are worshippers from all nations, from all languages, from all tribes and peoples, including your people Israel. They will worship you as king. They are 100% loyal. The fact that I'm here today is part of that story. The fact that you are here today is part of that story too. Because after Paul died, there were generations of missionaries who brought the gospel to other places, including to the Huns and to the Germans and to the Celts. And finally, the gospel found its way to Steinbach through your forefathers who brought it with them to this place in the prairie. But still the story is not over. There are still people in Steinbach whose doors are open for the gospel. Yes, your doors here are open too for them to come in. But I said in the beginning, church is not only going to church. Church is also about church on the go. So you're going and looking for these open doors is not simply about inviting people in. Your going is about going to those places in Steinbach. Maybe geographically within this vicinity there are new families, new social spheres, people of different cultures. Spreading the gospel and building the kingdom numerically more disciples, but also with a deeper impact through transformed lives. And it has to go beyond Steinbach too. Because there are still over 4,000 peoples who never had a chance to hear the gospel. Some of them are Muslim people, some are Hindu peoples. There is still enough to do for a lot of those messengers. Like Paul, like others who are called by God who when they hear the call, do not consider this a suggestion, maybe a great idea. But say, you are my Lord, you are my God, if you call me, I will go. True disciples who declare Jesus is Lord and King, what we claim to be, we are called to follow. Let us go where he directs us. And let us not pursue our own little trips around my Asia Minor and think we need to push through this door when it seems, no, this door is closed. Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas. Paul didn't get stuck there. Paul kept going until he heard a clear call and direction, go. And then he was willing to give up his original plans and go. And the Lord confirmed it because it's the Lord's heart that all will hear. Shall I close in prayer? Father, thank you that you have given us this book with this great story. And thank you that you have given us people like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke who were in this before us. 
Father, I thank you that they listened to your call and that they did not consider it a suggestion, maybe a great idea, but that they understood this was from you and they had to go. Thank you, Father, for the open heart of a Lydia. Thank you, Father, for the open heart of a jailer. Thank you, Father, for the open hearts of those who came to become believers before us. Thank you, Father, for those who shared faith with us. And thank you for opening the hearts, our hearts, to the gospel. Thank you that you have come into our life. Thank you that you have come to be our Savior. We also want to accept you as our Lord and our King. And we want to be part of your mission to build your kingdom here on earth with an impact that changes the landscape and builds this crowd that will one day be before you on your throne and worship you from all nations, all languages, all tribes. Father, I ask that you bless this church in Steinbach, Manitoba, Canada, that they would find their place and hear your voice very clearly as they move into a new building. Where else? You open the door for them. You must have other doors that you have prepared for them to walk through. Father, I ask for lead, your leading and your speaking and for obedience so that your name be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.